Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jordy Fox Elner is the head of film, TV, and podcast development at All Things Comedy, the production company launched by comedians Bill Burr and Al Madrigal. Elner started as a comedian himself in the late 1990s in Los Angeles, where Mitzi Shore made him a doorman and eventually a paid regular at the Comedy Store. His career transitioned in 2006 when he took over the fledgling comedy division at MySpace. And when that platform fell out of favor, he found refuge at Jokes.com and Adam.com, which eventually led him into the fold at Comedy Central where he rose to become VP of Talent and Development before leaving in 2020 to join All Things Comedy. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Jordy Elner, thank you for joining me. Last things first, a bit of housekeeping or fun fact trivia out of the way. You just told me before I hit record that this is your first comedy podcast. Correct. Yep. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> You've been in comedy for 25 years and you've somehow managed to not. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've told a lot of people in the past. Yeah, sure. I'm happy to do it. And then I um, sort of let it die. And then. And so I've managed to avoid it for all these years. And, you know, I just haven't really found a reason to do it, but I'm happy to talk to you today. You work at All Things Comedy. And before that, you worked with Comedy Central. So I suppose in that capacity, just having to administrate, manage, or sometimes listen to those podcasts must be enough of a deterrent to go, oh, no, I don't need to be doing this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... uh... We're starting to see a lot of uniqueness uh, in the podcast space, which is which is great. And I think that's what we're always looking for is unique voices or a unique take on a podcast. Obviously, there's been a lot more interview style, which which is fine, depending on who that person is. But, you know, I, I don't know how much more people can take <laughs> of uh, how, how many uh, there are out there of uh, sort of the same uh, styling. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, I, I don't think I needed to insert myself to what was already out there. So, no, I understand. I mean, I, I, I only started in 2015 and even back then we're talking now in 2022, seven years ago, I thought there were too many podcasts then. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that was what was holding me back in 2015. Imagine <laughs> if you had told me then how many more podcasts there would be. Seven years later, I, I I wouldn't believe you. Yeah, the same feeling about stand-ups. Uh, when, uh, you know, I was around the stand-up scene and starting in 97, it felt like a smaller community. Now it feels like uh, it's it's grown like five five times uh, to, to today. It seems like there's a lot of stand-ups out there. I don't know if they're funny, but there are a lot of stand-ups out there. I guess... <laughs> It goes the same with podcasts, right? Well, so tell me about what comedy was like for you in 1997. You were just out of just out of school. Yeah, I was just out of school. I was uh, I was at the University of Arizona 
I had no visions. You know, I never grew up saying I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. I had, you know, really didn't have anybody tell me uh, I was funny. You know, maybe a uh, couple of times, you know, just because I was pretty, pretty crazy in a fun way. But uh, something gravitated me towards doing stand-up. I started at the Laugh Factory in 97, um, had some early success where, you know, somebody at NBC had seen me, had brought me in, kind of led to some things where it was like, read for a pilot, and I had no idea what I was doing. But they were really nice to me, and I got some sound advice, and it was like, you should really learn how to act and go to acting school. So I did that. But along the way, when it came to stand-up, um, I made some some friends that were really supportive. Um, Zach Alphanakis was one who was kind of coming on the scene in L.A. He was in New York already, but he had told me about this scene at this coffee house called Pedersen's. Any diehards uh, might know this, but it was a coffee house in Venice that you could see Paul F. Tompkins, Maria Banford, uh, Zach... You name it out of the sort of the alternative scene. Um, that was the open mic hangout. It was run by this guy, Vance Sanders, who to this day is still doing it. And just a great supporter to, you know, the comedy scene and um, someone who really gave everybody an opportunity to just get up there and do their thing. Um, I was a little bit of an outlier. Um, I was kind of an angry comic to start. So I think it kind Tony, of you were angry. I was an angry. I was an angry comic. If you got to know. My stage name was Jordy Fox, so if anyone's uh, interested in looking further into that, uh, it's not Elner. Um, yeah, I started out with more of an angrier tone, but people seemed to like it. Some of my earlier bits were about wanting my grandma to die or, you know, how I hated people in my office. But I think over time, that community really appreciated it. And mm-hmm. um, it was a really cool community, you know, like it was a really amazing time. I mean, there was no... There's no podcast. There was no YouTube. There was, you know, I don't even think there were phones yet. Um, you know, you'd, you'd right, the, up. right. The first, I got my first cell phone in 98, I think. Yeah. So it was just a notebook and a pen mm-hmm. and you got to know people. And then they told you about some other shows that they liked you. And, um, and it was pretty, it was pretty pure, you know, comedy wasn't really that popular around that time. I mean, there were people starting out and you know everybody obviously you know you grew up on carlin and you grew up on you know you know some of these uh eddie murphy and if you would have brought up names you know uh to to just standard people you know today i I can have a conversation with anybody and they know every stand-up you know whether it's because of netflix or podcasts or they just go to see comedy where back then you know you could throw out a name and they would be like "Eh? i don't no idea So it was really cool. It was a great, great experience. And you just kind of went to all these, all these places and, you know, and so the alternative scene was kind of like starting to, to, to form. And it wasn't anything different than what club comics were doing because then I, you know, became friendly with a comic by the name of Freddie Soto, who you might know. Yeah. Um, He was definitely on the rise. Um, He unfortunately passed away. But he said to me, you know, one of my earlier sets, The Laugh Factory, he's like, bro, I think you're funny. You want to go work at the comedy store? I'm from L.A. I'd never been to the comedy store. So to me, just even having a reason to go there was kind of cool as a young, young comic. 
mean, I'm talking like under 10 sets at this point. And um, he said, I'll get you a showcase this Sunday. You'll showcase in front of Mitzi. He was really stressed about it. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> Um, I mean, I kind of knew a little bit about Mitzi, but not, not, you know, nothing to what I, uh, you know, later experienced, which was awesome. But so a couple of days later, I was, uh, at the comedy store on a Sunday doing my showcase set for Mitzi and she made me a non-paid regular, which okay. at that time was that you had a job there and you either got three minutes, six minutes or 10 minutes on a Sunday. She gave me 10 minutes, which was the highest. And uh, made some other comics uh, jealous in a good way. So I was getting 10 minutes every Sunday. When I got off stage, she said to me, you will be my assistant, but you'll get 10 minutes every Sunday. And uh, I said to her, um, I, I, I can't be your assistant. She was like, what? You don't want to be in comedy? Um, <laughs> you know, pretty intense. Uh, I said, no, of course I want to be in comedy, but I will be a horrible assistant to you. Like it just, you'll hate me. And she's like, fine. Then you're a door guy. You'll start right away. You'll start calling in. So I became a door guy there. That was more my speed. <laughs> like all of a sudden, you know, I was just a guy doing open mics and by chance meeting uh, through somebody, I met Zach started doing more of the alt scene and then through a chance meeting of Freddie Soto. And then also I met Joe Rogan, who was a big supporter as well um, in my early years to, you know, make a long, long story really short. I would get 10 minutes every Sunday. Sometimes I would, you know, being a tour guy would get spots when somebody didn't show up, but basically, you know, Mitzi had a lot of things to help you become a good comic. She, she really um, wanted us to learn how to see the room so you really had to pack in the room up against the stage, no matter how many people were in there. Um, she wanted you to watch other comics, see what they were doing, interact with other comics, kind of get to know the life. Over the course of five and a half years, I, you know, I showcased for her 24 more times. Okay. Uh, so it was a pretty long road. Sometimes I thought I was going to pass. She still would not pass me as a paid regular. And then other times she would throw curveballs at me. Why don't you do material about being a door guy? <laughs> started doing that. And then I started talking about her and that almost got me fired. <laughs> um, just kept going. I didn't give up. And then I just knew on that 24 set, I'm like, if she doesn't pass me, I just, you know, I don't know what it's going to take. Cause I just felt like I nailed it. And then I got off stage and she shook my hand and she said, uh, you're a paid regular, start calling in. So yeah, that that to me was a big accomplishment, be a part of that community and a part of that club and really learned a lot from her. She was she was obviously a very tough, tough, you know, um, boss to have, but she really, you know, for me, knew how to get the best out of uh, someone and really just, you know, gave me such a, uh, a great um, education into stand-up and just, the community and really how to function as a comic. And you got, and you got to do that while Mitzi was still running the store. I mean, younger yeah. comics only hear the legends and the myths of, of Mitzi, but then like even people just a little bit younger or, or newer in the game never got to perform for Mitzi. They performed for Tommy or for Adam or now for Emily. And then also being a paid regular that gets your name on the wall, doesn't it? 
It does. Yeah. My, uh, my name's uh, right on the front of the building. Uh, so every time I drive uh, down Sunset, I can always see Jordy Fox there. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it feels good. You know, it, it, it feels in some ways like a Hall of Fame, like a comedy Hall of Fame. And, you know, that place means a lot to me. I have so many friends um, that I made over the years, you know, from there that I still you know, have a great relationship with, you know, Bobby Lee is one who, you know, was there, you know, before me and there's um, Al Madrigal, you know, obviously became a great friend from the comedy store, came up with, you know, guys like Sebastian, who was just doing open mics at that time. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Chelsea Handler was just starting out. And uh, when was the first time you noticed a comedian using the internet? So that was kind of a transition for me. So I never intended to stop being a comic. That was my love. That was, you know, my plan. And then I got a random call in 2006 because uh, I used to curate and there's, I'm going to get to your question, but I used to to do a lot of um, just shows because I loved producing stand-up shows. It wasn't for stage time. It wasn't for favors. To me, I always approached it as like, book a really cool show and people will probably want to come out to it. And so I started doing that at the improv, you know, because of Rita over there, Rita Piazza, who, yeah, um, yeah, who's the best. And um, she, uh, she trusted me to book and curate, you know, great shows. And so you'd have uh, at that time, so many great people who would go up. So I had a friend who was um, not in comedy, but he was in marketing and he got hired um, at MySpace to run marketing and he used to come to my shows and he loved it. And he's, and he would invite all of his friends and they were packed. And he called me one day and he said, um, Hey, I know this is a kind of a random thing and cause you're a comic, but you know, you have really good taste when it comes to comedy and the people that you put up on your shows so we're launching a comedy channel on MySpace and similar to um, bands. And I, I wasn't into Friendster. I didn't really know about that. And then MySpace kind of capitalized on Friendster saying like, you can't promote your bands. You can't promote being a comic. Like this is purely a, a social, social network. <laughs> right. Got- purely social. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was a Tom in MySpace. He was real um super passionate about uh artists and Krista Wolf who was really the business mind you know at, at MySpace and um they they knew that there was a community that they could tap into and they had to tap into it really fast because they must have known that others like Facebook were like not that far behind mm-hmm. what i noticed when the internet became something was when I started at MySpace in 2006, I was in a small office in Santa Monica before we went to the big fortress in Beverly Hills that Fox uh, owned. Right, you know. before the Fox purchase, yeah. Yeah, it was really intimate. But like the music guys, there's a guy over there. So Josh Brooks, who was the head of marketing, music, and then comedy and film, was a big advocate. So he said, why don't you come on and consult at MySpace, help us curate this channel and um you know you'll still just do your comedy but you know we want to know who are the next like funny people and you know can we work with like the ones who are kind of doing things and so 
I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I said, honestly, I have no background in business. I have no background in uh, digital, you know, um, but I know, I know the community of comedy and I'll give you, you know, my best sort of take into it. So I started working with them as a consultant and it was just mind blowing. All of a sudden, everybody was just like, I have to be on MySpace. And so Rogan really jumped in at it. You know, he was a huge, huge advocate of the digital space. And it makes a lot of sense now to see where he is today. Like he just embraced it, right? which was great for me at that time because I needed people who would embrace it. Gabriel Iglesias embraced it, like really cultivated. I mean, you know, these are guys who can back it up, you know, obviously with their with their comedy, but they also knew how to tap into creating their own community around what they do. So Swartzen embraced it. I mean, my first meeting was with Just for Laughs, which was pretty funny because I was in the meeting and they were like, hey, wait, aren't you a comic? And <laughs> just showcasing. Uh... <laughs> Weren't you just on the new Faces showcase? <laughs> yeah, I was. And I said, yeah. And all of a sudden I'm in this room with, uh, you know, uh, this festival. And they said, you know, we want you guys to come out there and we want you to show what it's like. Mm-hmm at the festival and so we did you know behind the scenes footage you know every day at the festival that's probably where i started to get to know you i think that really opened up a lot of a lot of eyes to the comedians in the community where i can put my tour dates up on my page and people can buy tickets i can do you know Patton used to write all these blogs and we used yeah Patton. yeah Patton was the biggest myspace blogger that i knew of yeah he did yeah and um we had sketch groups like uh, the Tenderloins and Good Neighbor who were oh, yeah. making sketches. Tenderloins who became Impractical Jokers, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And Good Neighbor, which was Kyle Mooney and Beck Bennett and Nick Brotherford, who were making hilarious sketches. And um, and then, yeah, guys like Swartzen were making sketches. And Weren't you in uh, a video with Swartzen? I was. It was called Wig Thieves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because I think when I first met you, I like looked you up and I was like, oh, wow, he's in this video with Swartzen. Yeah, um, I, Got to open for him on his on his theater dates, and you know another another just a, a great guy. But yeah, this you know this whole community really embraced it. It was pretty crazy, you know, like just to be able to be someone who can help like create someone's profile, like help build their profile, like more tickets, you know, being you know bought or you know being seen by, you know, it was like all of a sudden we were opening more eyes to networks and festivals and, you know, just the general public. So that was, yeah. The two things that I remember, one, well, I mean, I, you know, I was working for the Boston Herald at the time. And so I got to interview Dane Cook when Retaliation came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember even, even then him him really dedicating all of that success or most of it to his MySpace profile because yeah. he, he leveraged, he leveraged that fan base to buy the record in the opening week, which is what put it on the charts, which is what changed everything. And then yep. that in turn got so many other comedians thinking, Oh, I need to be on MySpace. But then the other thing that I remember and I distinctly, and I'm, I was still think, I was thinking about it earlier today, knowing that we were going to have this conversation I don't know why MySpace 
you know, and credit to you for this too, is like MySpace did for comedians what nobody else has been able to do really in terms of like giving them a spot where they can interact with fans, but also promote dates and sell tickets. Facebook never managed to do that. No other platform has done that. Netflix, Comedy Central, nobody's really done that the way MySpace has. Yeah, it was, um, you know, uh, I, I would say it was uh, a lot of the the reason why we had that success was the thinking of the guys who created it. You know, they were really trying to create a, a place for the artists to really put their stuff out there and for people to 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 find it or to really embrace it and want more of it, which, you know, made people like Pat write more blogs because they could see that people were reading it or for people to want to put tour dates on. You know, I remember before Mark Marin did his podcast, you know, I was like, Hey, you're so great at like ranting about things. Why don't we just shoot some stuff for, <laughs> you know, like on top of our roof, you just, mm-hmm. just ranting thing. And he's like, yeah, why not? You know, like whatever. So you, you could get a lot of talented people to do different things just because they knew there was going to be a, a, an audience for it. And it was really cool. And then that led to, um, wasn't a creation of mine, but the music guys did secret shows. This guy, Isaac Walter, he's like, you got to do secret standup. Like, how could you not? So I did, I think, 40 secret standup shows across the world. It was like Russell Peters in, in a small venue in Toronto. I did, mm-hmm. a, I did a coffee house with Swartzen in Austin that was, could only seat 50. And I think 2,000 people showed up. And he was, oh, wow. he was like kind of freaking out. The Mighty Boosh did one at the Roxy. And Cheech and Chong did one. And... Chelsea Handler and, you know, you name it. Uh, it was, it was pretty Gabe Iglesias, you know, was, was playing huge venues and he did one and it was like this intimate surprise show that if the audience saw it on MySpace, they would get into a free, a free show. And we actually had to turn away a lot of people and that, you know, but that was kind of the excitement of it. You could really generate you know, like an audience to come out to things. That was really cool. That was a, that was a really fun, fun experience for me. So despite how great MySpace comedy was, MySpace itself infamously fell out of favor. Like everybody jumped yeah. ship. Yep. And, and you eventually found refuge with Adam.com or jokes.com or. Yeah. So, what was um, the... so I spent four years in MySpace, which felt like 10 years the first year year and a half where it was like the golden years and then all of a sudden I had a lot of people start to say to me um I, are you worried about Facebook I didn't really know what Facebook was because I wasn't someone who was so uh immersed in like you know the social platforms I really started you know we could see that there was a tipping point where it was like a plane really going up numbers wise, the mm-hmm. first year, year and a half, you know, we were an ad driven company. Um, so numbers really needed to be high. And then it became this like really big, you know, like it was like a plane just going straight for the ground. The last like two years I saw in one day, 1500 people get fired. And most of the people around me were all gone. It was a really, um, uh, heartbreaking day. It was unbelievable, but uh, I hung in there my four years. But it was definitely um, starting to 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 crash. And then I got a call from um, 
a guy over at Comedy Central Digital really wanted to tap into uh, really making more digital content. I mean, it was, you know, very, very early on. YouTube was starting to really come on the scene. Um, and uh, so they recruited me. We want you to come to New York and work here as a talent exec for the digital space. And at that time I was just getting married and I'm an LA guy. And I said, you know, I don't know if I can move to New York, but I really want to work for you guys. And they said, you'll be based in New York, but you'll, you'll work in LA. So I was a New York based employee, but I worked (laughs) in LA and I just had, I had to fly to New York like 10 times a year. Started to work with Adam.com and, and uh, Jokes.com. I had some big, big, big plans, and um, I'm not so sure that they were into my big plans, but th- uh, they knew that uh, I had a pretty good comedy background when it came to uh, relationships. And so um, I uh, really got to know the digital space again when it came to creating short form content, sketches, um, series, it wasn't embraced yet. Like people still felt like digital was this like cheap last resort alternative to, to, you know, it was always about TV. And then I think as time went on and people saw that there, you know, there could be real budgets when it came to digital. And then that was years later and potential to, to have your stuff seen and, to work with people. How involved were you at all with the workaholics guys? Speaking of that. Yeah, I, that was our uh, already in play before I had got there. Um, Walt Newman, who's at adult swim and um, Seth Cohen uh, were already, they, they had already um, picked it up to pilot. And um, so they're, they're aware of mail order comedy, which is what, you know, put those guys on the map. Um, but that, I think that was the thinking was like, who's the next like person we can find that can come out of this and, you know, ultimately become a hit show. Um, you know, Adam uh, Devine was, uh, you know, he was another friend of mine. You know, he worked at the improv. I think I was the first comic he'd ever seen. So we've always had this like fun <laughs> history together. But in terms of that show, I didn't really have um, okay any any sort of. Um, uh pardon it but over time um i gradually moved into li- the linear space as a talent and del- development exec at comedy central i think that was um probably like five years in i worked uh with cc studios for for some time and that became more of a serious short form uh like digital content a pipeline right. so you know at that time i was developing shows with the Lucas brothers and that whole crew, which was awesome. Kurt Bronner And uh, we did Roustabout where we, he jet skied from Chicago to oh, New right, Orleans. Right. Yeah. And Wasn't uh, Ari Shafir's show? This is not, this is not happening. Yeah. Uh, came out of that too. We did that as a digital series and then, you know, went on for many seasons as a, as a linear show. Trevor Moore, who was a friend of mine who sadly passed away. Uh, a year ago, he he came to me and said, "Hey, I got a couple of you know music videos. I'd love for you to check them out." One was called "Tom Hanks is an Asshole," uh, which was <laughs> hilarious to me. But those videos caught caught a lot of attention. He, we wound up doing two specials because of that. You know, Theo Vaughn's um, uh, Man Up show was a digital series that went, you know went on to a pilot. Worked with uh, Nick Swartzen and Simon Rex 
who Simon Rex was, you know, sort of the, the darling last year at the Spirit Awards. Um, they had a scripted show. You know, I had a Snapchat show with Michael Costa, who went on to The Daily Show. So, yeah, it was a pretty remarkable way to work with people and then, you know, develop them as a step. I had a lot of great experiences just just going that route, you know, just working with directors, writers. You know, I had a show with this uh, sketch group out of Atlanta called Dormtainment that was able to get this uh, showrunner Rodney Barnes on. And you know, Rodney Barnes is the guy behind Winning Time now on HBO. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's pretty remarkable, uh, you know, that people really started to embrace that space. Idiot Sitter was, was another one of our shows that became uh, a series and, you know, some, some things uh, made it and didn't have a long shelf life, but uh, it was still a cool, cool, uh, you know, pipeline, you know, for a lot of creators to, you know, do something without just a traditional, let's go to a script or a pilot. Right. And since the, you know, and since the pandemic, you know, you left Comedy Central as a lot of people left Comedy Central. I don't know if it was, it's not quite the same situation as the MySpace nosedive, but, but it, it might feel that way to yeah. some people. But, but since then you've been with All Things Comedy, which is Bill Burr and Al Madrigal's company that they started. How does it feel to kind of come full circle where you started out by cu- working with comedians directly and curating and then you went through the whole span of internet technology from MySpace to in social media to uh, video web series to linear television and now back to working with comedians directly. I learned I learned a lot from my Comedy Central days to how to help support. You know, I, I think that the thing that I learned from MySpace to Comedy Central and to where I am now, you know, one of the things things that uh, I love about all things comedy is, you know, obviously it's two really uh, great comedians behind the company, um, but they also are great supporters to uh, a lot of people. And um, that that's really what, if I'm not going to perform, you know, I also love the idea of helping people create, you know, a vision or at least giving them as much resources and guidance and experience to help them at least feel like, I went all in and it was my vision and, you know, I took it as far as I could. And so I think what I love about, you know, all things comedy is it really, you know, supportive, you know, obviously we can't work with everybody. We have you know, our, our own particular taste, but we really get behind people who we just think are very funny, unique. Obviously we like people who are cool at the same time, work hard for me c- coming from comedy central that was the philosophy that elevate people's passions and their projects into something that could be something on air or give them a shot. You know, I worked on three of the last roasts as, as a talent executive. So giving somebody a shot on a roast was a big deal. So yeah, I like the philosophy of all things comedy where um, we're, what is unique in this role for me, was that, you know, when I was at Comedy Central, I had, kind of a lane that towards the end that you had to sort of stick to whether it was like a non-scripted show or, you know, it became a little bit more like some were going to handle animation. Some were going to handle scripted. Some were going to be non-scripted. I, I love all of it. So I don't really want to be prohibited from working in certain areas. And it was just TV, you know, here we're producing movies. We're producing scripted animation, non-scripted, and podcasts and also branded content. You get to work in a lot of different areas 
that for me is exciting, especially uh, because I feel like there's a huge void in comedy films. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's, you know, there's not to me, uh, I used to love like looking forward to like a lot of, you know, comedies, you know, especially in the movie theater. And I feel like there really hasn't been a ton where, you know, I can point to, I mean, you still have like a comedy here and there, but it's always with kind of like the same sort of, um, you know, people. And it really hasn't, you know, I remember seeing Ace Ventura for the first time in the theater and kind of knowing Jim Carrey from In Living Color and seeing him on stand-up scene, but like seeing that and like just falling over in my chair, like, holy shit. Like I have not laughed this hard at something. And it was just felt like a new voice. And I mean, there's a lot of those examples. And so for me, it's exciting to really try and work with people who, you know, have been writing stuff for more of the feature space. Bill just did that with his movie and, you know, he's an edit on it. But, you know, it's, it was great to have the company in general take that step. And for, you know, Bill and, you know, Mike Bernalina, who runs our company to to really go and make that. And then on the heels, uh, you know, we're doing one with Esther Pavitsky, a hilarious voice out there that, you know, has great acting experience. And um, we're going to shoot that this summer. So to really kind of tap into that, that space where I feel like right now is a time where people probably need more, you know, comedies, um, especially, um, you know, on the, on the film side, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a lot of great TV, but, you know, to me, I just, you know, to lose yourself in a two hour or 90 minute comedy, you know, just, it feels like we need more, more of that. And um, so we're um, really taking an active approach. We do it again, you know, on the TV side, you know, some, you know, some, uh, we have personal stories when it comes to the scripted, scripted side, Um, a lot of funny personal stories, um, but, but relevant to, to a lot of people. Um, animation, same thing. You know, we have a lot of, um, you know, great uh, stories that come to us that just really excite us. And on the non-scripted side, you know, we're just looking for ways to to plug in so many funny people into things, you know, without doing it like the sort of the kind of the old version of a panel panel show, like turning, you know, the genre on its head a little bit more. And um, so, you know, we, we pitch uh, a lot of different things, but uh it's always with an eye towards how can we, you know, put in more people that we love, you know, into the things that we have, whether it's casting in a movie or, you know, developing their show and then maybe building more of a package and cast around that, or even a non-scripted show where it's like, you might have three great people kind of like how at midnight was um, who, you know, you discover, you know, from a different way, you're like, Oh my God, this, you know, like how best week ever used to have Mulaney and Nick Kroll and some of those others are like, I don't know who John Mulaney is, but he's really hilarious <laughs> on the show. And then you kind of start to look into more of, you know, who these people are. And so that's, that's been uh, our philosophy, but yeah, it's, it's great to be, you know, at a company that, you know, stand up is the, the, you know, the background and, you know, a place that I obviously love and, you know, have been around and, um, really trying to support people at all levels in any way that we can to, you know, help get their projects made. Great. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've already known that, that all things comedy has been in, has gotten in, in the production business with specials, whether it mm-hmm. was first Bill 
getting that deal with Comedy Central. I guess while you were still at Comedy Central, was to, yeah to do, to do three specials, and then now they've been you've been doing them for Netflix. I know. I remember we were going to podcast one time, but then you were doing Nicole Byers, yeah, special for Netflix. Yeah, we did, yeah, we did Nicole Byer. I mean, you know, Mike Bertolina, who runs the company, is um. He, he's, you know, he's just great when it comes to production and, and, um, you know, also the business side, obviously, but, uh, you know, we've had, um, you know, quite a few come our way that, you know, he personally has been, you know, running and overseeing and, you know, he did two, two Ronnie Chang specials and, um, you know, obviously Bill and they did Whitney, you know, Cummings and Nicole Byer that we did in New York. And then he just did Franco Escamilla. And then we've also been doing some uh, on around that have been exciting to do, you know, like did Todd Berry in Chicago and um, Gavin Matt. So uh, again, just supporting people that were, were big fans of uh, Joe Bartnick just did one, Nate Craig. So yeah, it's. Uh, and Joe was on the uh, Bill Burr's Netflix festival showcase as well. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, we did uh, Paul Verzi. Uh, we did a second one with him that, um, again, is, you know, um, someone that we uh, love over here. And uh, Rosebud Baker did hers. She's, she's doing great things. So, yeah, it's not um, the core of our business, but it's something that we, we really care about. And I think for us, we want, you know, comedians to feel like they can come to us, you know, if, you know, obviously if we're big fans and to, to create the vision um, that they really want for their special and to make it feel special, but also to do it in a way that is economic too. And it's not going to be super costly. You know, there are ways to um, make a special, you know, that obviously it comes down to the material and how funny it is. And, but then we also want to make it look, you know, great and unique and look good. So, you know, we want whoever we work with to feel proud about what they're, what they're making. So yeah, that's, that's been an area that we're, you know, constantly working in and um you know we're excited about it what is what has kept you in the game for so long you know we started out talking about how we both got involved in comedy when we didn't even have cell phones to just run the gamut of how the internet has completely changed comedy and yeah and now we're in this weird space where i don't know if social media is even helpful for comedy anymore, but, but it's all kind of coming full circle again to, you know, like you said, all things comedy is focused on developing feature films and television shows. And yeah, I think for me, you know, what, you know, I've been fortunate. I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of luck. You know, I spent 10 years at comedy central as development exec and a talent exec to get the experience of working on a network that long, especially one that was so known for comedy. I'm kind of in a unique position. Um, I really can't think of any other execs that were, you know, were an actual comic for so many years and spent so much time around the, the community. And, you know, really, you know, it's like I did open mic for years. I did the road, road for years spend time around, you know, obviously the store, but the improv comedy magic club, I, I just, you know, I, I've been around it. So I think my experience, um, I tend to not talk about it too much with people that I work with. Some people know me, you know, from those mm-hmm. days. And so there's a little bit of like, um, a bit of, um, 
like a like a comfort thing. Like sometimes, I think there's some some things that throw off uh, creators, like standups, where they kind of you know, especially the Comedy Central, like it's this us versus them, or you know, Suits or the man is kind of mm-hmm. holding that kind of a <laughs> kind of thing, and I kind of break it down a little bit more for them, like this is really more in your mind what's going on and you have to understand there's a whole other thing sort of happening behind the scenes and really trying to um, help people stay focused on their vision and not let the other things kind of take over. And I think it's just being able to relate a little bit to not only the stand-up experience, but also being an exec for so many years and being able to, like say like you know there are things that i know places might look for for when they want to pick up a project and just helping them steer steer them is the the right way possible without compromising their their vision you know like ultimately the things that i learned um comedy central was to support creators as best as you can and but allow them to really you know, die on their own. If it doesn't work out, like they can get to as far as they can with something and say, you know what, this was how I wanted to do it. And you can steer them a little bit away from it if it's going to help them. But if ultimately they feel like, you know what, you steered me in this path and ultimately it failed, then, you know, it's kind of more on me. So I try to um, just listen and support and, um, get excited about what they're doing. You know, it's like you can't work with everybody, but there are some people out there that you get really excited about and just feel like they're doing things that are unique and different and fresh um, and funny. I just think, you know, I, I, I love working in comedy. To me, it's always been a passion, whether it's being a stand-up and eventually moving into as an executive at a network and now an executive at a at a production company and producer, um, just really um, putting it all together, you know, like, um, and it goes beyond standups. Like I'm, there's, you know, writers out there that I just, you know, love, you know, we're working with a writer by the name of Emily Towers. She's on family guy. She's hilarious. Kevin Biggins, who was on family guy for many years, kind of looking for them to um, like bring their projects to us or help other creators to elevate, you know, off of their experience, there's, you know, directors were working with a guy by the name of Brennan Schroff. He was at Comedy Central for a long time. And to me that it's, it's not just staying in a lane of just getting to know standouts, but it's also improvisers, directors, writers, now DPs and animators and editors. It's all of it. And there's so many excellent people in each area that, really make the things that you see so much better. And they're kind of the, at the top of, you know, even guys like Tom Lenz, who do, you know, like do all the specials or um, Jay Lafayette, who's the DP on, you know, they're, they're, they're special in their own field. So I, I like to get to know everybody. And so I think what's really helped me is that if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, do you have a list of showrunners you can recommend? Do you have a list of directors you can recommend? Do you have a list of, you know, DPs, I, I try to learn, you know, as much of that in the comedy space, not just the standups, but just really everybody who's working in comedy. And, um, you know, we're working with a 
company on Esther's movie called Utopia. And, you know, it's run by Robert Schwartzman and he's really embraced, you know, the indie, indie space, the indie film space, especially when it comes to comedy. And like, again, it's just another person where I can really like learn a lot from how he does it, but then also I can apply, you know, my, my comedy background to, to it as well. And, working with um, a director by the name of Nick Goosen, who you might know, who's done a ton mm-hmm. of specials and did Grandma's Boy and he's directing that. So it's, it's really um, just embracing people and helping them with their vision. And I think the thing that's carried me, that's kept me in it is just passion and enthusiasm. And to this day, you know, get excited about when there's an opportunity for myself and the company to elevate a project or a person, it's a pretty gratifying uh, thing to have that. So, you know, if, if I'm not going to be a performer, which I love doing, then I can be an advocate to people and help them see their, their project made, you know, or at least try. So that's kind of been sort of the resilience of it all. Huh? <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. But, uh, no, no, it does. I mean, there's sometimes where I question why I'm still doing it, but yeah. What keeps me coming back is, yeah, is that passion. And, you know, somebody's got to speak, speak up for these comedians. So why not us? Yeah, for sure. And like I said, there's a lot out there and it's impossible to like everybody. And, but there, there are, you know, a bunch out there that just truly make me laugh, you know, and they're all at different ages. I'm a little bit older now, but like there's some younger comics out there that I'm just so blown away we just shot with gavin Matz in vancouver and just a really like well thought out set and but at the same time very hilarious and so you know it's exciting to you know see this new generation just you know we're working with brandon wardell he's a funny guy like, there's a lot of really great young comics out there and then there's a lot who are just have been around that are also still great and you just need to figure out how to like uh, do something unique with them as well well, you know, not not all of them can be in your top eight, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if yeah, you can tell, it, but I still really miss MySpace. I miss. My- I, do, I do too. Uh, I, I really. Uh, it was unfortunate that it went away because it really was um, made made for you know artists and especially comics. It was a great thing, but uh, my journey has been very unexpected. I didn't expect to be a stand-up. I didn't expect to work at the comedy store. I didn't expect to work in MySpace. I didn't expect to work at Comedy Central. Um, that was kind of mind blowing too. And then you know, I didn't expect to, you know, work at a company like All Things Comedy, and you know, especially with the people behind it. And so, I would say uh, I always kind of keep the journey as sort of the unknown. Like I never know where it's going, and you know, to now be going into you know new areas with this job, I think that's sort of the exciting thing is that I'm always kind of looking to learn and get better and, and, and find new ways to make things that are in comedy. Well, Jordy, thank you so much for sharing so much of your journey with me. I really appreciate yeah. it. It was my pleasure. Thank you for asking me. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. 
you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.